Simo and Redmond are the thong slappers. They're two blokes making lots of noise but getting nowhere fast. Hey, hey, it's Simo here and welcome to episode nine of the Thong Slappers Redmond. How are you going? Hey, good buddy. I'm flatter than hammered shit. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's pretty flat. I hope you can pep yourself up for the rest of this episode. Uh, just busy, busy, mate. You know, life, <laughs> life goes on. Oh, I know that story well. Hey, listen, getting straight into it, mate. We've got to actually get on and talk about 2002. If you are. Well, there's lots to talk about, and again, being so long ago, it's kind of funny how quickly time rolls around. However, however, before we get cracking on 2002, I just want to, um, I guess, put a bookmark in here about the 2018 Thong Slappers Gen Y of the Year Award. Now, we've had quite a few nominations come in, and they've been really good, and we really do appreciate the people putting the effort in to email us or messages via Instagram about sort of, you know, why they think they deserve to be, you know, the 2018 Gen Y of the Year. Look, we think everyone who's entered has, you know, been a deserved nomination. And the problem is it's going to make it really fucking hard for us to choose someone, don't you reckon? Definitely. There's been some excellent applications. Yeah, you know, like we laughed about saying, oh, God, for every Gen Y enters, we're going to have to give everyone a prize. I know. But this is the problem. With this, it actually genuinely is everyone is really good. So it's going to be a tough decision. So I'll tell you what, if by chance you've entered and you don't win, you're very close second across the board, whoever, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever. It's going to be like friggin' Turbo Smart Dial Your Own at the Drag Challenge. <laughs> it's all within three hundredths of a second for the top ten. But, mate, first of all, I just want to mention, uh, and we'll put some photos up on our Instagram page of this so you can actually see his car. But uh, Gen Y, by the name of Jake Simpson, he actually emailed us at, uh, our email is thongslappers at optusnet.com.au, just for everyone to know that. And I'll read the letter. Here we go. G'day, guys. I'm Jake, born in 1995. I got my first car when I was 12, when me and my dad pulled it out of a paddock. I put a 250 in it, blew that up, so we're currently putting a 302 in it. So this is the guy. He's got an XP Falcon Ute, and uh, like I said, he sent us some photos, which we'll put up. And you can see the thing's been pulled out of a paddock. They've obviously painted it. They've interiored it. They've put a 250 in it. They've done a lot of work to it. And kudos, too, to Jake's dad for steering him down the right path. And nothing better than a father-son thing than doing up a car, I think that's for sure. But this is the thing that really warmed Jake to my heart. This is, I quote, P.S. Really good to hear people not giving a shit about wasting a classic. I get that all the fucking time about my radius rear guards. Fuck up, car. It would be rotting in a paddock otherwise. So this is the thing: is XP Ute. Look, that model era of Falcon, whether it be sedan Ute, wagon, or you know sedan delivery or panel van, they were famous for rotting the rear guards. You know, they got quite the low-cut arches on the rear guards. They would always rust. So a lot of people would cut them out or put the front guard wheel arches out of a sedan into the back. So this thing's had radios rear guards, but the thing is, it doesn't look out of place. Like it suits it. It suits the style of the build. But if I was you, Jake, mate. Anyone who gives a shit about it, just give them the finger. You just need to put like 1510 auto drags or jelly beans, put some humongous wheels and tyres under the back that will fit because the radius guards, it actually looks good anyway. Put massive wheels under the back with a set of tramp rods and they can just eat your dust, mate, as they watch that Borg Warner diff painted yellow, hopefully, cruise on by. So seriously, mate, I'm really impressed with the build. I think you and your dad have done a great job and very a very worthy nomination for 2018 Gen Y of the Year. How about you, Red? 
What do you uh, got happening? I think that's very good. I like the thing about it rotting in a paddock anyway. I've got... Um... Exactly. And it's so true, though. What would yeah. people rather see? If, if it was left rotting in a paddock, they'd be complaining that it's water waste. But don't people realise that this guy, who's to say that he cut the arches out? Is it like a lot can happen to a car in 50 years? So that's the stupid thing about it. You know, I, again, best not let me get on my high horse. You know how that ends up. Well, you know, if this is actually your podcast, you can say what the fuck you want. <laughs> oh, it's a shared interest, mate. Don't worry. You go for it. You oh, will say whatever you like anyway. I've got Nade Cheese. So I don't know. I'm, I still struggle with these fucking names and shit on Instagram. So it's N-A-D-E-C-H-E-E-S-E. A fuck for the remedial amongst us, which I am one of. Um, Nade Cheese. Nade Nadine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Nadine. Yeah, I'm Nadine. I'm 24 years old, and I'm nominating myself as a 19 as the 2018 Gen Y thong slap. I've grown up around the hot rod scene and spent my school holidays at car events. I've built myself a HQ1 Tana at a young age, and there's heaps of photos. The other thing that she's doing at the moment is she's she's got her nana's ex her nana. She's got her XB coupe, and she's pulled the motor out of that, and she's fixing that up for a nana to get it back on the road. And on awesome. Inst- on Instagram, she's posted a few um, a few photos of her, her her interests and stuff. And one of them, she's a, a little tacker here. She must be about ten, and she's in front of a tunnel ram DH with New South Wales Rego Dragger, D R A D Y A, and it looks fucking hot. And she's only a little tacker, so that obviously influences. She does mention in the uh, in some of her posts that her uncle is a a driving force between her, her love of cars. And she's been very clever, mate. She sent me a, because I'm fucking retarded with this electronic stuff. She sent me a YouTube clip on her build of the car. It's called HQ1 Tunner Build or whatever. I don't know if it's, it's on YouTube. It's got a Mang Mang motor and it's got a, a V6 VN engine in it. It's a re- and she's taken it to Summonats. Uh, she's taken a few car shows. She's won a couple of local trophies with it. And it's a, perfect. Yeah, mate. And it's cool. So I, I just said to her, welcome aboard, man. You're definitely in the entry. And, um, I've enjoyed a lot of her posts, actually. She's from up that way. Yeah, she's from good Bath- stuff. Bath- stuff. So, yeah, she's definitely in the end. She says here, every time I see uh, one tonner, I scream, one tonner. It's very annoying for my family. And I wrote back, hey, <laughs> I-, I-, I wrote back, welcome to TDS family, mate. We all do that when we see a tonner. <laughs> tonner fun. Yeah, that's so- it. They're not called that for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> that's so- awesome. So that's our, um, <laughs> our one tonner, Nadine, entry for the... For the gen, but yeah, we've had lots of good entries for that. Again, yeah, had a good response. And keep keep your entries coming in too. Like I said, you got to we're actually drawing it on June 30, so keep your entries in, and uh, we'll let you know who who's the winner of our Street Machine subscription. So that'll be the go. Hey, mate, kicking on to 2002. I guess we should actually get started on the show. Um, <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what were you up to in 2002? Like, what were you driving and what were you doing for a cross? Oh, you were throwing spanners. Oh, yeah, 2002 was just about nearly the end of my being a shit cunt time, eh? It was when I, it was, I think, 2004 that I grew up a little bit and kind of sorted my shit out. But 2002, I probably had 10 different cars. And I, yeah, I was actually working at a, a place in Botany, a uh, Ozuzu truck dealer, actually. What about you, Simon? Oh, mate, <laughs> I was actually working as a, um, well, I did a design degree at uni. Right, and the plan was like this is after my apprenticeship. I put myself through uni like as an adult or alleged adult. And <laughs> I um I did a design degree. Like I wanted to be like it's industrial design. So I actually wanted to design Hot Wheels cars for a living. That was my dream job, and I thought oh, I'll chase a dream. And anyway, that kind of fell over. It's sort of kind of hard to get a job in America when you don't have a green card, and you've got a million other Americans who'd be happy enough to do the job. Oh, yeah. 
you know, that sort of go in line before you. But look, I think these days it'd be a different kettle of fish. You could probably do a lot of that work like Online, over the internet. Yeah. But remembering yeah. back in 2002, it wasn't the same way. But look, anyway, short story long, as we do here at TTS, um, I was working doing architectural sign design. So I love sign writing and I loved all that sort of stuff. So I got a job doing that and made... I'd be in these meetings with people like industrial, uh, other industrial designers, interior designers, architects, and you know engineers and planners, and have absolutely no fucking idea <laughs> of what was going on. Like, I had no idea. I didn't know what was going on. I I was creative with cars and bits of art, but I wasn't creative with like shops. And so that's why I did the science, but I really kind of liked that stuff. So um, I was doing that, and um, yeah, that was pretty much it. That was at the time, and I kind of finished up that later in that year so before I sort of went back to more mechanically or car based things sort of where I actually knew what I was doing to start with and didn't have to bullshit my way through every day and I, I kind of would just sit there like a stunned mullet in these meetings and kind of like when George Bush Jr. got first told about 9-11 he's just sitting in that kid's kindergarten with this blank look in his face that was me at meetings to do a design so I kind of bailed out of that and got back into mechanics but you know it's, it's sort of funny i think back 2002 being 16 years ago i was still in my late 20s as you would have been as well which is kind of scary to start with but you know the bali bombings that was 2002 the 8th, wow, 12th, yeah. 12th of october 2002 and that just it's so still so fresh in my mind as i guess 9 11 is probably as well i mean it was really it was you know just over like 13 months pretty much after 9-11 that that happened. It was just such a, I guess, a real, I don't know, like the whole thing people say, oh, Australia lost its innocence and all the rest of it, which it kind of did. It was so close to home. I mean, you had 202 people who were killed in that event, including 88 Australians. So, you know, for a lot of people that would still be so fresh in, fresh in their minds and their lives, you know, who've had to sort of deal with that experience or have family members who are involved. But the fact that it was 16 years ago, it kind of just defies belief, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, the sister, my sister had a, a friend that was touched by that. It was a really horrible um, experience. Yeah, definitely. Just one yeah. thing on that, um, on sign writing, is something that's come out of thong slappers that, you know, you're talking about sign writing and design, something you said, uh, I think it was Casey Johnson, yeah. or maybe it was even somebody else. You're saying they have a real uh, eye for it and a real vision of how to finish a car or how to finish something. I'd never yeah. considered that before. That was a good thing to come out of thong slappers. Now, now when I look at a car or I look, I look at something, I think, what was the guy's vision? And that's something that I've learned from this as well. So sorry to kind of go no, back. No, not at all. Bit, sorry to go backwards a bit, but when you're saying about sign writing and stuff, now it is a different way to look at cars and to look at design and look at how somebody's done it. When you're saying, uh, was, was it Casey Johnson that you told me that had a really yeah. good, yeah, had yeah, a really Casey, good, yeah, definitely. It's like choosing an era and sticking to it. Like, say his panel van's a perfect example. He wanted late '70s, early '80s kind of, you know, like um, oh, what's the word for it? Almost like a fad panel van. So it's jacked up. It's got massive wheels on the back. It's tramp rods. It's got extended shackles. Kind of like my orange van. And that's the thing. His vision is it's you're not going to see it wearing a set of like uh, 20 inch you know, yeah. weld power cruise rooms or something like that. It's going to be, it's going to be all era correct. It's not like a mishmash of different eras, different decades. I think, I think it's something that we can add to our vocabulary, all of us from this, that is vision, the vision of a car. Like uh, when, mm. you know, like I say, Johnny Saddle, when somebody, when they're building, I've never considered that. I've always considered a car to be fairly functional and to be fairly 
how I want to drive it and the bits and pieces I want. But to have a vision of a car, that's that, that's what we're that's kind of something that I've taken from this podcast as well. That, wow. So when I look yeah. at a car, when I interpret a car now, I can also put to that what was the guy's vision. That's, yeah. yeah, that's some good stuff that I think we got from this, you know. Sorry to go backwards. No, no, not at all. Best to talk about it while you think of it. Oh, hang on, mate. Coco the dog's just done a huge fart. Hang on. <laughs> oh, yeah, blame Coco. No, hang on for a tick. It's, it's like sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Hang on. <laughs> Okay, sorry, I'm back now. No, it's just it's like for your napalm. It just it just sucks all the oxygen out of the air, and you can feel your nose and your eyes melting. Just one anyway. second. One second. I am a husband. I am fucking fluent in the blame the dog for a far thing, mate. You don't have to explain. <laughs> but there's no one else here, here besides me and her. Like and that's, and what I, that's what I always say. But see, that's the thing is, I could just let it go and it wouldn't matter. But anyway, hey, as you were, as we were talking about 2002, yep. NZ Airlines went belly up as well. Yeah, as that... in the Aussie icon and sadly a loss of heaps of jobs from that. And, you know, I, I don't know. I guess it's sort of scary where you think it's it's such an icon. I've still got like posters of, you know, Ansett Airlines, like maps of Australia where all the planes used to go and all this sort of stuff you used to get given as a kid. And for me growing up, as it would have been for you, like Ansett and TAA, Remember TAA? They were yep. like just the big things. So like TAA became Australian Airlines in 986. So that name, I guess, didn't stick around forever. But um, the fact that Ansem went, it just, I don't know, it was such a loss of an Australian icon. So it's kind of scary when you think about it. But um, yeah, and TAA changing to Australian, they actually later became, I guess, the, the national leg for Qantas anyway. But the one thing that I guess that did happen, I don't know if this if this name change was a result of this, like the name change from TAA to Australian, but Wonder Woman actually lost her bosom flying TAA. <laughs> so maybe that's kind of what was the catalyst for change with that one. I'm not really too sure. Chits so. and farts, that's what we do. <laughs> hey, the, uh, the guy, Bayswater Radiator here in Townsville, he's got a, he must have bought it from the auction or the finish. So he's got the TAA loading ramp, you know, where you, you push it up. Oh, yeah. sweet. Yeah, yep. and all, I always think, what the fuck is the point of that? What Can I ride my BMX up and down at all? Can I, what the fuck is the point of collecting? Unless he's going to suddenly buy himself a fucking 747 or something, I guess. Maybe it'll come again. Thank fuck, I bought that. Dog. Now I've got 747 to go with it. I think that's awesome. Like, is it actually based on a truck? Is it like a Bedford truck with it on the back? Nah, I think it's just that you use a forklift, I think. A fork truck, I'm sorry. I think you use a fork truck with it and you put oh, it in place. I know the ones. Yeah, lock them in. Mate, look, if it was actually mounted to a Bedford truck, I have seen them. You know, like the yeah, old... I know not the, one not the TK Bedford. What is it, J-Series? Like the conventional cabs, like the little ones? Yep. Um... I've seen one of those with it on the back. I'd just drive it around as is. I'd drive it around exactly. I'd register the thing and drive it around with that friggin' ramp on the back with the steps on the back. Just park it everywhere. Careful, you're showing your age with that TK Bedford reference. It's a 350 Munro, I know what we're talking about, I bet you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think what would be cool, you know, I was just just talking to actually a drag challenge guy today, and um, Stu... They actually towed a boat for the Drag Challenge weekend with all their shit in it, like a 20-horse Evinrude, like a little fishing boat thing. And we're talking about trailers and stuff, and I started thinking about what would be like a cool trailer to take on Drag Challenge. And really, I mean, look, they do have height restrictions, like height and size restrictions for the trailers. Like they kind of get scrutinized like the cars do, but if it was open slather or if you could sort of make it almost like a bit of a pop-top, how cool would it be to take like one of those doggy wash trailers? The other ones that don't look (laughs) like a big fiberglass dog. I thought about buying mine, yeah. 
Well, or like an ice cream trailer. Just something totally left of field. Like take something like that along as your trailer, just for a bit of a laugh. I think it'd what, be great. What about something with about three or four kegs on it and a spit roast? Well, you could do that too. It wouldn't really matter. Just chuck all your shit in the back and then, yeah, tow the trailer for purely for entertainment value. But What's what's the one with Harry Haig when he goes on? That guy's so fucking cool. He's like Fonzie mixed with fucking Elvis. He's fucking mate. But he's on that first drag challenge, he took his boat behind, was it the QE? The HQ, yeah, SSHQ. And there's yeah. photos of him going fucking fishing. I'm like, no one, <laughs> I've got to say about Harry Haig, no one person's allowed to be that cool is going to fucking stop it. <laughs> Have you seen his new, like, street gasser? The he, uh, he, I think they built it for his son it. or he and his son built it. The, have you seen it? It's like a custom line. I it's got it. like an I-beam and a big block Chevy and everything in it. Have, no. you, have you actually, do you know of the car? I think I may have seen one. I think Street Machine maybe. As you say, they post something saying built in 10 minutes or something. Was that the one? <laughs> Pretty much. It's called, you know, like obviously one of the best parts about having a gasser or a street gasser is naming it. It's called the Dirty Sanchez. Yeah, now I'm seeing it. Now, yep, got it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. have, have, we got, have we got time for you to explain gases to me? Because I don't get it. I, I watched a reality show. They got a '57 Chevy in there, and they blew the front end off and put a lease. Have we got time for it? Or do you want to do it somewhere else? Oh, mate, look, we could just just add it in and just extend everything else. It's no problem. I Pretty don't much... fucking get it. I don't. Yeah. I'm a driver, so I want something that. Fair enough, it's a drag cover. What they cut the front end off and they put a leaf spring I beam front end under the fucking thing. They make well, a box trailer out of it. On later model stuff, like I think I know the car you're talking about was a fifty seven Bel Air. You know, but I, I guess a lot of the earlier stuff that I guess was at the core of what a gasser is all about came out with I beams anyway. And the whole point of raising the fronts up was supposed to be for better weight transfer. So say for example, if you get like a forty one Willys coupe, right? which from the factory is just a four-cylinder, pretty much just a little slug box. Like those things, they used to jack the fronts right up so it was believed to help with weight transfer. And you notice that a lot of them, they had to meet a minimum weight requirement and a lot of them would put like a big steel tube kind of bumper bar on the back, which also, or a push bar as well, to throw more weight at the back. So the cars would be biased, so there was more weight to help with traction. You know, if you're sidestepping the clutch at like 8,000 RPM or something, one of those things. But... I don't know, look, I just love the stance. I love the, you know, full-on I-beam stance. And it's as much as it'd be difficult to engineer a properly, you know, like an I-beam car, like, say, a Valiant or a 57 Chev or something, something that doesn't come out with it initially. But am I kind of answering your question, like, why it's done? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, no, that's dead right. Side-tracking. No, no, that's the, I, I was wondering because to me it just seems anti-engineering and to, you know, to bring something in and blow the front end yeah. off. You no, know, you're right. You'd have so, It's all to do with weight. Yeah. As far as racing properly, it's all to do with weight and weight transfer, but also I guess it's all to do with stance and I guess like a, a kind of a cool attitude it gives the car. Whereas like from that, I guess it's probably more a super stock thing, but the street gasser is kind of just evolved, especially here in Australia. My old days, Coop, is where it's jacked in the front, it's low on the arse. It's got all the sign writing and all the stuff that like a gasser would have. However, because I still want it street registered, I want to be able to drive it. It doesn't have the eye. It's still got a torsion bar front end or say Casey Johnson's XR Falcon still retains the Falcon front suspension just with the world's tallest springs in it. So that's kind of where the street gasser uh, term was coined was from those sorts of cars. But the gasser thing, I mean, look, I, you know, as I said in episode one, I'd love a, like a Willys, like a 40 or a 41 Willys done as a gasser. 
but you know it's just not really achievable at this stage i so. guess my side of it is i like muscle cars with a front bumper like scrape it on the ground you know what i mean like yeah, that's yeah that's but that's just because i'm a streetcar guy sort of thing but no that has explained I, I have wanted to ask you about that for a bit i just don't and when you don't like like a particular build of a car it's not because there's anything wrong with the car it's just a bit of education i think you know it's just you need to get your head around it i'm i'm not overly a fan of uh gases where i'm a massive fan of muscle cars and they have the front bumper scraping on the ground a set of fat that's just what we do we, we you know sort it out don't we? yeah exactly exactly hey mate and look that's really got a lot to do with a lot of things in life isn't it whether it be movies or tv or music until you actually sit down and and sort of immerse yourself in certain stuff like perfect example of that is that TV show The Wire, which came out in 2002, which is a show that you actually put me onto because you're a big fan of it. And I love it. It was something I never even knew. I probably wouldn't have ever bothered looking about until you said, listen. Like, I was at a loose end. I'd sort of run out of a show to watch, and you were at a lo- and you said to me, give The Wire a watch. And it was actually a great show. I never realized it was from 2002. I didn't realize it was started that long ago. Yeah, but HBO. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a great show. It's about, obviously, Boston detectives and drug runners and all the rest of it but um i really enjoyed that for sure it's very clever television uh that that uh the wire it's a pre-soprano day so it kind of helps set a bit of the precinct and uh, precinct for sopranos just just something uh i remember when i was watching one of the episodes when I first hooked me in i was watching one of the episodes and one of the detectives mcnulty like it's from the cop's yeah. perspective but it's from the reporter's perspective and stuff <laughs> one of the coppers is on night shift they put one of the detectives on night shift so he's there with a bottle of um What's the uh, Protestant whiskey? I can't I don't remember. Have a clue. Yeah, he's there with Sorry. a bottle, a bottle of whiskey, and the other detective comes in and goes, "So what? Sometimes you drink on night shift." And he goes, "Very rarely am I sober on night shift." But it's, it, <laughs> it was very clever from uh, from that time. But just from music from from two thousand and two, what what kind of music were you into in two thousand and two? Oh man, look, oh, I kind of always listen to a bit of everything. I don't really follow any particular genre or band for that matter. I just kind of follow what songs i guess i like if that makes any sense more so lincoln park probably that sort of stuff yeah right yeah. and you know eminem that was he was probably at the top of his game at that at that yep. time as well like, there's a lot of stuff going on with that i mean i don't know if you listen to nickelback at all you'd have to have a like a, a celtic tat uh, to <laughs> a necklace that goes with it but i don't know hey, i kind of listen to a bit of everything for as much as I'm going to get bagged about it, they're pretty good players, mate. They're actually pretty decent players. But oh, yeah. um, to 2002, I just had a bit of a look at what music was around. I've got to mention one thing. In in 2004 or five, as I said, when I decided to fly right and move to Queensland and sort my shit out, uh, I ended up on field service with a guy, uh, Chris Carrigan, the mate CC. Yeah. So we, we ended up up and down the Queensland coast. And one thing that he had from 2002 is the Rodney Rude, Rude Bastard CD. Mate, <laughs> like, I, I had listened to Rodney Rude. He, he's... <laughs> He's wonderful and he's perverted Rodney Root and he's just so – so as part of my 2002 music, I want to tell you a little about – well, because it, it charted very well. When you look at the music charts, you look, fuck me dead. Rodney Root even charts well. So from 2002 – Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, he had an album called The Rude Bastard. Can I just tell you a couple of the track track names? Yeah, sure. Track five from Rude Bastard. Rude gets raped with a hunk of bong hose. <laughs> Who wouldn't listen to that song? Track seven. This is it. Don't you hate when you're wearing a G-string because half your turd goes on the floor and half goes in your sock. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sorry I saw up here, and I saw up here, and I'm sorry. Yeah, look, 
He did some great stuff. I actually used to work in his Toyota diner as well when I was an apprentice back in the day. So that was kind of scary. But um, yeah, look, I think music-wise, you know, it's funny just talking about like Nickelback in 2002, that song. I don't know if this song was from 2002, but they've got that song. Um, uh, I can't remember the one they were talking about, like being young and all that sort of stuff. And one of the lines is, what the hell is on Joey's head? Well, you that, know that yeah. Song? yeah, yeah. And the eyes are red, something about... Look how, what, uh, yeah, I just can't get the lyric. It's not how you remind me. I just can't remember the name of the song. It is. Um, no, it's it's not that. It's, um, anyway, it's that song that goes, what the hell is on Joey's head? I found out a few years ago, it's actually a colander. The guy's wearing a colander. That's where that, that's what inspired uh-huh. that line. Yeah. The, um, I went to the Big Day Out in 2002 in Sydney. We, we used to go a few years in a row, man. Big Day Out, great music. But listen to this for a lineup for 2002. I was there, it was great. The Prodigy, yeah, New Order. Now, New Order. What was their name before the guy suicided? Um, New Order, uh, Joy Division. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Right, great band, man. Joy Division. So there was the Prodigy, New oh, Order. Yeah. Sorry, Garbage. just just quickly. Don't ever talk to Saint Lucie about Joy Division. She loves them, and you'll never Mate, get a word in. Great. Stuart, what's the guy's name? Stuart. Oh, fuck, I'm old and retarded. I can't think of any. Uh, no, Ian, the guy that suicided. Oh, fuck. Ian, I can't think of his name. Anyway, both of them. <laughs> you fuckhead. <laughs> so um, the, the big the lineup from the big day out was the Prodigy, New Order, Garbage, yeah. Silverchair, yeah. Regurgitator, wow. Grinspoon, <laughs> and Spiderbait. How's how's Regurgitator? Was it Regurgitator's song? You sucked a lot of cock to get where you were. Yeah, that's them. Yeah, yeah. I like your old stuff better than your new stuff. Yeah. When was that my as shit? well? When was that my shit cunt worse? When I was just the most backward motherfucker ever i worked at sutton's ironcliffe kenworth dealership and i used to crank that i used to have every fucking monday off because i could never turn up they they end up telling they end up putting me on four day weeks i said look we're not booking any work more work for you for monday we're dropping you back to casual and you can work four days a week i'm like a fucking ripper but i used to put that uh you sucked a lot of cock song all the time on the fucking and just yeah but it's funny how you grow up and Kind of eventually grow well, up. Well, kind of grow up. Did, did they just say to you, "Don't come Monday"? Yeah, no. They you did. just you just you just took that as in, oh well, I'll just come Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh fuck no, man. Do you know what they had in 2002? They were starting to get more towards where the rule makers were starting to come in. So you know what they fucking had, mate? I was how old was I? I don't know. They had a fucking discipline committee. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Oh, like, man, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm a fucking Kenworth mechanic, and he's t- t- talking to me about it being a discipline committee. I'm like, guess suck a fucking cock, you know what? <laughs> but um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's we used to get red crosses. We had like a, a system where, when I was an apprentice, if you did something wrong, you got a red cross, and it was like, oh Jesus Christ! And you get these guys like oh, I was, you know, like twenty or twenty-one, so it's kind of wasn't far out of school. But you see these guys who were like fifty getting a red cross, and they'd just be like, just giving the finger to the foreman, like you got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah, you know, it was just so pathetic. So. That's like yeah, written, written warnings, like, yeah, put it with the other ones. But um, mm. from, from 2002, how are the magazines in a crib hut? They, was ju- they were just hanging on. You know, I've got a, a, a bit of a uh, hobby of magazines. I love all magazines, mate. That's kind of, uh, yeah. you know, from yeah. Reader's, Reader's Digest to R.M. Williams Outback. Like, I kind of do dig magazines. But in 2002, they had um, they started removing them. You know, we had the Zoo magazine, the People magazine, Street Strip, you know. We, we had anything with a boot. Oh, they, yeah. They, it was they, all they, gone. But basically, my, my argument is the first thing a newborn baby sees is a vagina. That's where they come from. The yeah. sec, second thing they see is a boob. 
isn't it? But yeah, straight on the boob. But uh, you know, a fucking thirty-year-old truck mechanic. No, we can't let you see a boob. You know, we don't. We don't want to fucking fuck everything up. You know, we don't. Want the, we don't want the planet to implode. But see, the difference was like when we were young tackers. Really, that was kind of the only way you would get to see stuff like that. It wasn't like you could just pick up your mobile phone and Google big guns and have some, you know, pages and pages. Like, they've got it so easy now. You'd actually have to look at magazines. That was the only way you could see anything like that when you were like, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 or whatever. So, <laughs> quick sidebar. I remember a couple of guys I went to high school with, they were right, you know, like trying to explore this whole pornographic movie thing. And... They you would send away to Canberra to get these video yep. movies sent up, right? Yep. <laughs> they were all excited because, you know, they waited like two weeks for these movies to arrive. They got like money order and sent it off. The movies arrived and they were fucking beta cassettes and they had the access player. <laughs> so they couldn't watch them anyway. Well, that was I, always pretty funny. That's a point. That would piss you off, wouldn't it? I had a, um, when I was an apprentice, I had a tradesman called Steve Mundy and he, he uh, in his spare time, he was Graham Cowan's uh, mechanic on his top fuel car. So. Right. What I used to do, we used to get the magazines out of the crib hut. It was all old school, you know. They used to smoke in the crib hut, whatever. I, I've never been to smoke, but he was and stuff. And um, so we used to get the magazines, and behind, he had his own little bay. It was like, you don't go near his fucking bay. It was beautiful and clean, immaculate, mate. You could have rebuilt a fucking kidney on his bay, and it wouldn't have got dirty. He <laughs> had this mate, fantastic wall of pornography behind it. Just So what I used to do is I get the magazines, and I'd take him a, a centerfold, and I'd say, oh, I think, and he'd look at it, he'd, but get rid of that, or every now and then, probably one out of five would go, yeah, mate, put her up. <laughs> so, you know, the, DF, the DFPB. That's a test. But, but the one thing was, the, the, the ladies in the office and stuff, if they wanted, they'd call it on the two-way, like um, Redmond, you know, there's a telephone call, you know, there's no mobiles or whatever. And the, the, we used to bring their cars in. I was the apprentice. She used to bring the girls' office car in on all the girls' office cars and bring them and wash them on a Friday. And very, yeah. you know, very respectful and clean their cars and bits and pieces. So it's a bit of a catch-22, you know. It was... They'd never come in the workshop because it's dirty and it's stinky and it's where fucking mechanics hang out and there's probably, you know, 15 square metres of pornography on the wall, but, you know, I don't know. It's just just the, the, the mix between the good side and the bad side. That's, that's where you're coming from. If, um, if it's 2002 and I was to say to you, holding on to a bygone era, everybody shout because it's getting nearer, would you be able to give me your friction fraction, your vice versa? Mate, I probably can, actually. I can definitely do that. Now, uh, right. Okay, this is pretty quick and nasty. This is a good thing. What I would do, like, if I could bring something back from 2002, it'd be a Monaro, like a VX Monaro. I I, I would prefer a VZ, but they weren't out yet. So I'm going to go just the VX Monaro. Look, I'd love the HRT 427, but to be honest, I'd just be happy with a V6 fine i wouldn't give a shit as long as it was monaro so i kind of really like those things the problem is though is that people kind of learnt their lessons with monaros and they're still worth reasonable money compared to like say like say a vx sedan which has got you know 20 inch rims bought from cash converters on the front and 15 inch rims on the back burnout rims that's missing its fuel flap monaros are kind of well looked after and they're worth like 20 times as much as the comparative sedan or wagon um so i'd probably definitely bring one of those back if i could go back and and grab something i suppose if i could go back and change something which is i guess what you know you probably really want to know about oh man i in 2001, I bought a VF Valiant Safari wagon for $100, right? Called the Brown Hornet. It's a VF Regal, so it had all the extra chrome. It was twin bench seats. It 100 had like a hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. Yep. 
Yes, unregistered, all the rest of it. Like, it was just, you know, I needed a new driver because I had this Escort panel van, which was just the biggest piece of shit. But that's another story for another time. So I thought, well, you know what? My hard top was off the road and doing bits and pieces with that. So I thought, I really just wanted a Valiant as a daily driver. So I bought, and I love Safari Wagon, so I went and bought this VF Safari for 100 bucks. The engine was that rooted. It blew that much smoke. Like, when you pulled the oil cap off, if it was idling, it'd blow smoke rings out. You know, like what people used to do with cigarettes in the 70s? Uh. It'd actually puff out smoke rings. Like, the thing was knackered, right? But, funnily enough, if you were cruising along, like, if you cruised it to the coast and just were gentle on the throttle, it ran a grey pipe. Remember the old days where if you leaded cars, you could actually tell the tune by running a grey exhaust pipe? Definitely it was an, yeah. Yep, that was it. So the motor was knackered. So what I did was to get it through registration, <laughs> I I got like a late model oil cap off a CL Valiant, which had like the little, the port in it. It wasn't, it wasn't vented to atmosphere. It just had a port in it. So what I did was I got a T-piece and some garden hose and I put a length of hose between the PCV on the tapper cover and the oil cap. And I actually like sealed the oil cap onto the tapper cover. I ran, I ran that length of hose, and in the middle of that hose, I put a T-piece in it, and then I put the hose into the base of the carby as per the normal PCV. So any of the kind of the crankcase gases blow by, blow by exactly like, I'm not talking just blow by, we're talking like hurricane by. It'd, up, get, yeah. it'd just go back and through the engine. So if you cruised around, it was okay, but before I did that, you'd pull up a set of lights. It was like, you know that movie Uncle Buck? Do you remember that yes, movie? Yep, I've seen it, yep. He, he's got that old heap of shit, and he pulls up the lights, and this big wall of smoke just, like, goes past him. It was like that. You pull up at <laughs> the lights, and smoke would be pouring out of everywhere from it. So, look, I, I did a lot of work to that car. I ended up putting a 265 in it with a, you know, auto. I painted it black and had to put a flame job on it, like flames <laughs> from front to rear. It was a cool car in the end. You like, got any yeah, yeah, I'll post up some photos. And That's then I cool. end up, later on, I end up painting it just plain white. But I actually put a VG front on it because I love VGs over VFs. And um, so I did the VG front. I basically made it a VG Valiant Safari Wagon. So, yeah, it was black with flames, really low. And, um, yeah, it had a few few different incarnations over the years. But I sold that car to buy the VF hardtop that would become old days. So I kind of, you know, miss that, always miss that wagon. I did actually buy it back a few years later uh, off the guy I sold it to. I bought it back. He blew the motor. Like, it, he was doing, like, seven grand in the thing and dropped a valve. So I bought it back off him with a dud motor or no motor. And um, I put it back together, but I was trying to buy a house and I needed money, so I ended up selling it, which is sort of a shame, but it was a cool car. How about yourself, mate? What would you be mixing up from 2002 to now? I'd probably bring back a uh, very similar to yours, of course, a VXSS. Oh, yeah, yeah. 5.7-litre, 6-speed LSD. I've, I've spoke with you about this before, that I think with the Chevy and the Australian Commodore, it's basically a Camaro or even a Corvette running gear in just the Australian four-door. That's, that's getting a bit carried away, and I've, I've copped some shit off me, mate, so, but it's not. It's it's the American Chev motor with a 6-speed. Right. You know, it's, it's pretty cool, but what I'd do, I'd drive it down to my local Holden dealer. This is, okay, so it's 2002. I've gone back, and I've got the brand-new VX, and it's two, yeah. and now it's 2018, so I've bought it back. That's the vice versa part of the component of this. So I bought it back. I'm going to drive it down to the Holden dealer, unlock the traction control, and smoke the fucking back tyres off. I'm going to rip some donuts, and just before the tyres pop, I'm going to ram it into a 2018 four-cylinder diesel, in brackets, Commodore that they've got on the lot, <laughs> on the showroom floor. I'm going to ram that fucking thing, eh? And then I'm going, to take, I'm going to take off all my clothes and set fire to them on the bonnet of that pretend Commodore. And and then I'll tell the reporters, whoever the fuck that turns up, I think, you think this wouldn't happen? You think you replaced our 6 or 6.2-litre 6. Commodore with this diesel piece of shit and you think we wouldn't fucking riot? 
<laughs> I can imagine, imagine the newspaper is for ginger pubes today were cited in a Commodore uh, protest today in, you know, Holden Townsville. But, yeah, that, that's one of my um, factions. But they're so shit, man, that the new Commodore is now what a two-litre fucking diesel. Take the name off it. Call the fucking thing what it's meant to be, a fucking shank gripper or a fucking cock licker or whatever the fuck it's meant to be. Shank, shank gripper. Yeah, that's what it is, the shank gripper. Look, if the you'd you probably put it in, like, in a really nice font. It probably wouldn't be that obvious until you actually read it, you know, across the bootleg. The shank, Holden Shank Gripper. Yeah. yeah. It could just I be, think it freaking hell. With half the names that come up with two, you just would, you know, it'd be in there. It just would look normal. The names of the cars these days these days are terrible, actually, aren't they? Pretty much, yeah. Look, Rexton or Rectum or whatever the hell those bloody vans are called. Lots of stupid. It's like we talk about with tyres, all the dumb names you see on tyres nowadays. Like What are they called now? Linglongs, aren't they? Oh, there's all sorts of things. Linglongs and bits and pieces, yeah. Lots of different names. Yeah. So. What about what about actual people's names? You know, in, in yours and my day, we had, you know, Larry, Gary, Barry, and Harry. What mm. the fuck have we got now? we got, you know, Jaden, Hayden, Braden, and Caden. They've all got the same fucking name. I can't even spell any of them, but that's nothing to, you know, be worried about. Yeah, you kind of feel sorry for people who grew up with names like, say, I don't know, Fiona, and it's spelt F-I-O-A-N-N-A-G-H-U-T or something like... I don't know, it's got like a silent G-U-H-T on the end. I don't understand that. Look, what the fuck is the go with the silent letter? You might as well have a nine in your name. If you go, I've got an L in my name and it's silent, you go, why the fuck don't you put a nine in there? Why don't you fucking put a a nine in the fucking thing and have, oh, it's a silent nine. No, you don't pronounce it. So what the fuck is your name? But see, that's like you wanting to be a symbol. Maybe you could be, for a symbol, you could be, I don't know, 11. Because you're just that little bit louder than 10. My last... Uh, faction fiction if i could take something back to 2002 instead of bringing something from 2002 i'd like to yeah. take it, uh, a new crf 450 uh motocross bike back to 2002 yeah yeah the new 450 mate they're crazy like uh in 2002 ricky carmichael won uh the ama american outdoor motocross on a cr 252 stroke right right so that was just about the end of the two strokes i mean the cr 500's got and about don't chris font this but they got about 60 horsepower, right? That's 50 yeah, or 60 yeah. horsepower. The new injected 454 stroke has the same. It's got about 60 or 50, but it's got traction and it's got a good chassis and it actually oh, works. Okay. <laughs> man, yeah. You wait till you yeah. listen to a new 450. You hear a new 450, man, they sound, I think it was about 2012 or 13, they started making dirt bikes that sound like goddamn muscle cars, man. You listen to a, a new 450 EFI thing with a pipe on, like a Yoshimura exhaust or a, or a pro circuit pipe, they are louder. I swear, they're a small block Mustang, man. They sound so good. They do sound good, definitely. And, oh, look, I know that I should probably keep up with technology and all the rest of it, but the first motorbike I ever rode, like ever, in my entire life, was back in about 1990, 1991, was an 87 model CR500. <laughs> you started yeah. at the top. <laughs> you started. Mate, well, it was just happened to be the bike that, you know, was there to ride. And I'd never ridden a motorbike. I thought, oh, well, I'll just give this thing a go. And I couldn't get the thing started. Like, you'd, I'd jump on the Kickstarter and just about put my knee through my shin like the engine wouldn't move, like the kickstart wouldn't go down. But once it was actually started for me by someone who weighed three times as much as me, yeah, it was a pretty wild ride. You know, doing like a quarter throttle in third gear and then giving it like half throttle and it's like rooster tailing and pulling the front wheel off the ground at the same time. So it was a bit of a baptism of fire with motorbike riding, that's for sure. 
Well, just just to keep in the picture, we took that 2013 EXE 500 KDM, which is nothing. It's just an enduro bike. Had a number plate, and we've run it out the back just with a stopwatch. I mean, it's not real. It's not very accurate. But the thing was yeah. run at just under 14 seconds on our stopwatch. I mean, that's a registered dirt bike with a fucking knobby and a number plate yeah. and blinkers. Yeah. But um, if you could have a chance to look at Trey Kennard, he's one of the American AMA motocross riders. He's, he's retired now. But if you can look at his uh, clip called RAW, Trey Kennard Raw, yeah. you'll find yeah. it on YouTube. Listen to it with headphones, and it really gives you a – Raw means they don't put any music. It's a lot of them dirt bike videos are guilty of putting some trendy music behind it and stuff. But this one's just actually Trey on his practice track, and you can hear the engine, and you just go, wow. You can hear right from the bottom, like from honestly – a thousand RPM when he's he stopped the thing in the corner and then he's he's pulling up on the throttle up to I don't know what they refuse sixteen grand. The thing's got horsepower the whole way through the range. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, and it'll be a really good listen. Just listen to it and you go, wow. He overjumps one jump and when he lands, he gets on the gas and the thing's still got horsepower at the top of the right at the top of the engine range. It's still got horsepower and you're like, man. It just lets you, let you know where the 450 is. So I'd love to take one of them back to 2002 and go to Ricky Carmichael. Mate, you're not going to believe this, but in 2018, this four-stroke bike is going to be the thing. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's going to blow the doors off. And I think Doug Henry, he was one of the guys. And then he, when Doug Henry first raced his four-stroke against the two-strokes, they accused him of cheating. Honestly, they went, look, we've got to find a class for the 450s. It was a 400, I think, uh, or a 425 Yamaha. The, right. the four strokes were that powerful and everybody there's still a lot of um romance and a lot of uh where were we with the two strokes i love them whatever it's what i learned to ride on but a, a four stroke motocross bike the new fuel injected things man oh fuck it'll sit your eyeballs back the, the things are crazy okay. i've only got one question for that entire thing you just said right for starters i'm following it i believe me but how'd you know my name was phones <laughs> Well played. Well played. <laughs> that got me hey, slapped. Uh, mate, moving on to 2002, we've got quite a few cool cars to talk about. Now, can I just set the scene for 2002 for you, if you don't mind? Is that okay? Yep, no problem at all. Rightio. The 2001 Street Machine of the Year, so the year prior, was Al Bundy Lucas's HQ Monaro, the purple one. Yep. You would obviously know that car. Yep. Yep. Suicide doors, blown, injected big block. Left-hand drive, I think, from bad memory. Yeah, well, I was was reading about why he converted it. Yeah, it was left-hand drive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that obviously used to be a trick done years ago for drag racing and that sort of stuff at weight transfer. But I think these days, and maybe with a car we'll talk about during 2002, it's also done for the potential selling it to the American market thing. But just quickly on Al Bundy Lucas's Monaro, which is just a standout car. If he built that today, he'd probably get told he's wrecked a classic or some crap. But that car was posted on a Facebook page the other day. And some dickhead's gone, oh, that Chev badge looks stupid. Why would you put a Chev badge on it? And I just thought, you know what? It's not even worth getting into, either on the podcast or on social media. And just goes to show that there is a great divide between what people realise a Chev badge means, especially with an old school build. And 2002 is still well and truly cool enough to be wearing a Chev badge. So, yeah. yeah. I've got no problem with the Chev badge. Like, it was something to be feared back in the day. If you see, yes. if you see yes. Huey or something, wear them on. Uh, old Barry, a mate of mine from up Bathurst, he had uh, quite legitimately tells the story when he took his XD LTD. So what's an LT LDXTD called? Uh, L- oh, look at Z ZJ Z, oh, Z, XD, so it's Leaf Spring. Yeah, would be a ZJ. ZJ. They've got ZJ Fairlane. He, yeah. he took it out west there once. He had to go out there for something to do with his wife, and he pulled up to refuel it. And it did have the a crane cam sticker and bits and pieces because it had a crane cam in it. When he opened the engine, 
same thing. You reckon the guys at the service like, oh, we've got a hot one here, whatever, and it actually had the cam in it as well. So <laughs> that's where I point back to the old cars. You know, it actually, I've, I've, on my uh, BK, I've got a Perkins engineering sticker very specifically placed on it because a Perkins 308 meant something back when it when it meant something, you know. Well, that's it. Larry Perkins walks on water, remember? And, yeah. and fucking making it. I, I like Chev badges, man. I'm, I couldn't give a fuck if it's on a VNV6. I don't give a fuck. I love Chevys. I, I, I fell for America in a big way. I like America. I like Corvettes. I like Camaros. I like fucking Bruce Springsteen. I like New Jersey, Sopranos, anything, man. Fuck. Yeah. But just, just that's the thing. Just remember that, like, everything's not built yesterday. And that's what people can't sort of go on. But, look, that's, again, a massive rant that I've actually written and had published in the magazine. So I probably should, you know, step away before you have to go and get yourself another cup of tea to keep going through the podcast. I I like what you said the other day, that I'll pull my skirt down now. (laughs) (laughs) So, look, leading into 2002, just to give you a bit of an idea of the sort of cars and the styles of cars that were around. So, yeah, Al Bundy Lucas' 2001 Street Machine winner was that HQ Monaro. The big, heavy, massive hit of a 2002 was, of course, Mark Jones's Fat 57, 57 Chev. Just an iconic car. I don't think there's anybody out there who doesn't remember that car. It was kind of like a, an orangey color in its last guise. But this is the interesting thing. That car actually won Street Machine of the Year for 2002. But that car featured on not just one, not just two, but actually three covers of Street Machine magazine in that year. So in that 12-month period, because it was a monthly magazine by that stage, that car featured on three of their 12 covers, which is just how coveted the thing was. The build was was one of, like, you know, just not only, like, a beautifully built car, but a really tough-looking car. And I always remember that was the first car I ever saw, sort of, I guess, from the show side, that featured big diameter wheels on the front, like, say, 18s or 20s, wherever they were, with, like, a 15 or a 16 on the back. But, of course, the thing's tub that's got the world's humongous tyres on the back. But that was the first car I saw that mixed up the wheel diameters front to rear, as in where it's bigger on the front, smaller on the back. Not like the old days of running 13s on the front of your HT wagon with drum brakes and 14s on the back. But it's actually the opposite, where it's got the bigger diameters on the front and the smaller on the back. Do you remember that? Yeah, definitely. I just think it's good some commentary. You're saying that. How do you get three covers in one year with one car? Same car. How's that That's ex- it. Look, I think at the end of the day, the thing just was such a iconic car. You know, I think it was one of those cars that it just was, it just stayed fresh and it just wasn't thrown away like a lot of cars are where they're just here one day, gone tomorrow. And the beautiful thing about the car, it had such a long build history. You know, like Mark Jones, he was influenced, of course, by the Rebel 57 Chev, the running on empty Chev. That car actually started off as a four-door. Originally, it was like a dark bluey sort of like, yeah, I think it's more dark blue than black, but it's quite a dark colour. And it was a four-door and had like a set of weld drag lights on it. And then it progressed to, he converted it to two-door. It still was dark, but it was converted to a, like a two-door, again, for the whole running on empty kind of influence. But then for this final build he did, it actually is when it got the colour change to orange and was built, I guess, kind of specifically to tackle the US scene head-on as well. So I'm not really too sure whatever happened to the car, whether he still owns it or not. He did go in and build a couple of cars afterwards. Of course, he had a couple of sons who were pretty big in the car scene these days. They famously, one of their, they built a car called LA Hooker. It's a 55 Chev, kind of like a gasser. And I love that thing. It's just such a tough car, but I digress. 
It's kind of like a white colour. I'll post a photo. I'll send you a photo of it. It was like, and it has LA Hook. I think it got rolled at the Chop Festival a few years ago. I'm not sure if it's back on the go or what's happened, um, but it was like a bit of a, a bit of a cranky thing. It's got like some big blown injected Hemi or something in it. And um, I know it dropped its guts one year it chopped, and I think the following year they might have actually flipped it. But hopefully that car will be back one day. But it just looked the part, and that name was just a fantastic name for a like a gasostyle car as well. So um, yeah. But look, uh, you know, as far as Mark Jones's '57 went, it's again, it's like an, it's an iconic street machine, and I, I don't think I've ever seen even a car, maybe apart from a, a Smoddy Wimmer, like Street Machine of the Year. It's probably the only time they'd ever maybe pull a second cover in that year in that 12-month period. But for the same car to pull three covers in one year is a pretty you know outstanding uh. feat. And it's not yeah. like it was knocked back in the day. It was just an accepted thing because the car obviously deserved it. So, yeah. Well, talking about the 2002, I bought the entire box set, 12 magazines, for 50 bucks delivered. So that's $4.17 each. Yeah, nice. Nice work. And, and something about them covers, you might find this interesting, you may not. On the 12 covers, there's eight hole, one chev, because it's one chev three times, and one for the whole, 12, the whole 12 months. There's one for, it's that Will Standing Pro 351 yellow XY. Yeah, yeah. But, Interesting you say that. Can I just sort of say something I recognise with this year especially? That cover with the Will Standing XYs, I think that was um, the Tony O'Connor, the Tocker Performance XY. About this time, Performance Streetcar magazine went off the shelves. It folded. Now... I guess up until that time, I'll be brutally honest with you, mate. I'd steered away from Street Machine for a number of years leading up to kind of 2002. Like, I'd just stopped buying it because I was pretty much religiously a, a buyer of Performance Streetcar magazine. Performance Streetcar was more the tough street and the drag, kind of street drag-based magazine. So it would feature all the, the cars that would be running in the top 10 list. And, of course, they had the Yokohama Performance Streetcar shootout drags, which were fantastic events. Yeah. And... You know, you had the likes of, like, Craig Thompson running there. You had a lot of other big players, you know, with their kind of street-based cars, but were running in all the different classes. And um, when Performance Streetcar folded, there wasn't really a market, and that was kind of where Street Machine Magazine then got... Whereas before, it was a lot of the, I guess, retro tech and the new generation type stuff that are featuring a lot of later model cars with, you know, EFI and all that sort of stuff. They started to then... I guess, spread their wings a bit more and start to encompass all of those tough street cars that were kind of left left out of the loop because of the demise of Performance Streetcar magazine. So seeing that cover of that XY doing a wheel stand, it was the start of a street machine starting to pull in that that other aspect of our hot car scene. And, I mean, look at it today. It's, it's a, you know, something that's well and truly regularly featured, even to the point of, of course, having drag challenge in those events. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great thing. And, mate, it's been, you know, been on my shelves ever since again in, in all its glory. Yeah, that's some good commentary. You know what, um, what else happened in 2002, the August edition specifically? No, tell me, uh, sir. A young bearded gentleman called Simon Telford joined the crew as the feature editor. Ah, okay, there you go. I He's back, been there for a long time now. Uh, something I always like to do is read the credit list occasionally, on, on two occasions my name's been on there, so I fucking always have a look. But um, yeah, he joined in August 2002 as the feature editor. I so I, just, I was just wondering about all the all the hold and bias on the on the cover. I'm, I'm sure if I get some of the 2003 magazines, I'd like to put them next to it and see what they're, they're doing with the Holden versus Ford. Um, yeah, yeah. Back. Look, I think it's one of those things where, look, at the end of the day, Holden's make up probably a, a great... I'm probably going to get shot by all the Ford lovers, but again, like I always say, try being a Chrysler fan, Holden's probably just make up more, like on proportion. 
of cars in the hot car scene. You know, like it sure as hell does in the panel van scene. Cars, you know, like most of the vans, like in the medium range, most of the panel vans you see are Holden vans because they were so popular and so many were made. Falcons then make up, of course, a certain percentage, maybe, I don't know, 30%, 25%. And, of course, Valiant vans make up about half a percent. But... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's just purely on numbers and what's popular. I don't think it's anything. I think it's just there's probably more fodder around for people to choose with Holdens and, you know, they have such a such a history in Australia. But have you got any favourite cars from 2002 you want to have a bit of a chinwag about? I've got heaps, mate. I've got just volumes. But uh, can I start off with uh, Adam Getsty's? I hope I'm pronouncing that right. LC Tirana. It's a cover card. The story's by Mark Osler and the photo's right. by... Uh, Guy Bowen. Yeah. Adam may be a more. <laughs> Listen to the description of his LC. Uh, this is what the the ride obviously Osler wrote. You won't find a fake rear wing high enough to pull down power lines, a ground shaking sound system, or so many window stickers you can't see out of where you're going in Adam's car. It's a six cylinder, and it's a four door. Yeah, so, and it made cover. Well, there you I, go. That ties in well with some of your commentary a couple of podcasts ago, where you were saying people are. And maybe going to the Centura, they're going to the Cortina, some elite builds of both them cars because they're cheap. If you're going to build a Monaro or a hatchback Tirana or something, it's it's 50k for the shell to start with. Mm, so exactly. Yeah. That, that was some pretty good commentary. You were saying that, well, if you're going to build an elite, it doesn't matter whether it's a Cortina or whether it's a um, an Escort because the, the, the build is where you get the, you know, that's where you get the value in what you're actually building. So I thought that tied in that's well with, with some of that. And um. The photo, yeah. the photos are quite funny actually in the in the magazine because it's almost as if they're hiding the fact that it's a two-door. It's not a great photo shoot. I'm sorry, or it's not. Oh, fucks me. Mm. I know it's not. It's not look, presented well. It's almost kind of half hidden the fact that it's a two-door. Look, I think the thing is too is that even up until recent years, like very recently, the four-door LC and LJ Tiranas were kind of always considered to be the you know like the dopey stepchild of the two-door. But yeah. there's just no two doors around. Like, try and buy a two door LC and LJ. And the fact that people are choosing to do the four doors, good on them too. Like, it's good to see that they're coming into their own. So, people, the everyday man can still build a Tirana LC or LJ, and the four doors are more so accepted. So, on the, you know, on, that's a good thing. On that note, the, la- the very last car club that I was kicked out of, the second one. <laughs> Mm. There was a there's a young fellow in there that had a oh not a young fellow he must have been thirty so I guess you know. he had a uh, LJ four door that he built himself he painted it white he put a yeah. pro, pro yeah. shifter in it had a holly and extractors just a two o two or something I was having the eye good yarn to him at the car show and he's going mate it doesn't owe me much money but it was perfect it had black I've got a photo of it somewhere but I can't find the fucking thing it was about four iPhones ago and it's just black yeah. fourteen inch black wheels on it he's painted the whole thing white himself he's put just a pro like a mega shifter or a pro shifter in it. It's got the 202 with the holly and extractors. It's it's built out of scrap that people didn't want, but he took it to a few car shows, and it was perfect, Matt. I really liked the idea of it. It was spot on. Yeah, now, just cle- enjoying it. That's, yeah, cle- that's a clever exactly little it. And to drive it, it drives the same as an XU1. Oh, you know, that's, that's, that's a bit, yeah. Yeah. bit of a... No, I know what you're saying. <laughs> but but um, yeah. it's, it's Adam's car's got the... Uh, on the cover, it's got a triple weapon 192, and it's fed by Avgas, and it's got a Trimatic... And I think the thing of it running 18-inch uh, dragways, it, it looked actually really good. It's a it's a it's a, cu- a cool little car, man, and I, I definitely enjoyed it. That was one of the cars that I chose. The Thong Slappers, 253 cubes of goodness. Drago Ostrich, in April 2002. The story is by Craig Parker, and the photos are by Kent Mears and Mark Bramley. I don't pronounce that right. It won uh, People's Choice at Summer Nats. Imagine that a Gemini wagon at one People's. Yes, Cho- especially back then too. Yeah. yeah. 
it's got the uh, they, they built the front end, they engineered the front end so they could take it off in one piece. And they're talking in the story a lot about how they had to move the door hinges. So they thought, well, fuck, if we're moving the door hinges, let's make it suicide door, which is something yeah. I love. I'm a fan of suicide doors, mate. So <laughs> it's got a Toyota supercharger on. And here's something, a good little uh, Easter egg that I picked out. They got all the Earl's fittings, you know, the Earl's fuel fittings and all mm. the things. And they boiled the yeah. caustic soda to take the colour off and then polished them. Oh, of course. So they're just like a, yeah. a polished that's, alloy finish on them. I think by, by by very definition, that's custom right there. That's custom work by very definition to me. Yeah. And, look, most definitely. And look, Drago actually went on to become a, I think he still is, like a, a judge, like a high-end judge for, you know, maybe someone else on Maguire's or whatever it is. But that sort of just goes to show that his eye for detail and quality, you know, is right up there, probably second to none. And that Gemini's testament to his skills that's for sure so. in the in the throw it's got a throwback inset like in the actual magazine it says hey this is not the first gemini that stormed them we had todd de elbow or de elborn at summon that's two with his uh four-door uh, gemini called gizmo it won the top oh i remember that yeah yep. top custom and top sedan you know i'm a fan of gemini so it's just good that yeah, it throws yeah. back to that gemini and also being a wagon, you had some really good thoughts on wagons during the week that you and I spoke about making a, an everyday wagon into a sedan delivery. Do you want to talk about that? or we... Yeah, no, look, that was just sort of something I've always liked. I always wanted to do that with a Valiant Safari wagon was fill in the sides, make it a delivery. And there's actually been a few popping up lately of the Commodore station wagon range, like VS, that sort of era. But also um, from HQ to HZ station wagons, a couple popped up at the fan nats given that treatment, you know, with a filled side window. So I think it's a good look. I think it works well with that body style for sure. Well, you fucked it for me because every VN, VS, VT wagon I see now, I just naturally fill it in. And it's actually a good project, whether it's a V6 for somebody at school or whether it's one of the high-end builders doing it as an elite. There's lots of fodder out there, and it's a very worthwhile thing to do with an old an old V-series wagon. I think it's a – even if you, yeah. take, if you take the HSV wagons and you build infill panels out of plastic, like everything on a HSV is like clip in, clip out sort of thing. So I just kind of – I thought that that had good legs to it, that project that you spoke about. Look, definitely. And you always remember there was that Sony Explod wagon VS show thing that was done like a sedan delivery too. So, yeah, there's always scope for that stuff. So much happening so long ago, but it's still so fresh in your mind as well, isn't it? Cars and builders and all that stuff. And you still can't help but wonder what's happened to all these things. If people hear about cars we talk about in the podcast, feel free to drop us a line if you know the whereabouts or, you know, the demise of any of these, especially show cars we talk about. But, mate, wrapping up Episode 9, Redmond, we're going to crack on with a little bit more 2002 next time. So... You know, I think there's still plenty of scope for what we have to cover. And I don't know about you, but I've still got a shitload in my head to talk about. Plus, I've had massive amounts of domestic bliss. Just excuse my dog yelping at me. I've had massive amounts of domestic bliss to talk about as well. I've actually got some action happening, which is a nice change. So, cool. Yeah. All right. Hey, special thanks quickly to uh, adult supervisors, of course, St. Lucy, Queen Deb, Jackie and Nick for their ongoing help, and also Macker and Harry, mate. So... Yeah, anything else you want to crack on about before we tie this one up? Just what you're saying about we're so stretched for time all the time, Simon. It's absolutely true, but um, a few people post comments, hurry up with the new episode, and we love it when like, that's good. But if anybody wants to syndicate us, drop a million-dollar check, we'll do one a day. <laughs> that's exactly right. Over to syndication. <laughs> all right, mate. I'll talk to you in episode 10. I hope you have a good one. This podcast, this podcast is made just by the hard work of Simon Major. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> I don't know about that. Cheers, mate. Have fun. Bye. I'll speak to you soon.